podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Coming to you on Monday, July 24th, a couple hours before the Mariners start their three-game series against the Minnesota Twins. On this pod, I will review uh, the matchup between the Mariners and the Twins. We'll dive deeper into Kenta Maeda, who is the opposing pitcher today against the Mariners. And meat and potatoes of the podcast will be uh, second base targets that I believe are both realistic and would make some semblance of sense for the Mariners to trade for. Uh, I mentioned yesterday how abundantly clear it is to me, finally, that Colton Wong is not the answer at second base as the last standing Colton Wong apologist. Uh, Mariners definitely need help at second, so I will run down a number of uh, trade targets that I think would vastly improve the Mariners at the second base position, talk about what potential trades might look like, and dig a little bit into their 2023 numbers. So let's get started. Mariners face the Minnesota Twins today at 440. The pitching matchup is Luis Castillo against Kenta Maeda. Uh, Tuesday's matchup, also 440 Pacific, George Kirby against Pablo Lopez. And then Wednesday morning, the Mariners uh, face off against the Twins at 1010. It is Bryce Miller against Joe Ryan. The Mariners will have an off day and travel to Arizona to take on the Diamondbacks Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the Twins are currently scoring 4.35 runs a game the Mariners 447 they're both in the um i guess second third of the league twins 20th mariners 17th mariners are a 100 wrc plus team as a team that is a league average weighted runs created they are ranked 16th in baseball the twins are 102 they're ranked 12th offensively uh not any real big differences to speak of uh twins 236 average mariners 231 obps are very similar slugging percentage is where the teams differ a bit uh the mariners slugging is mariners are slugging 391 whereas the twins are slugging 410 and so the twins are hitting for a little bit more uh power and extra base power than the mariners are uh pitching wise very very close matchup Twins are second in the league in ERA, first in whip, second in swinging strike, third in walks allowed percentage, and first in strikeout percentage. Mariners, on the other hand, are sixth in ERA, third in whip, sixth in swinging strike rate, tied for first in walks allowed percentage, and tied for fourth in strikeout percentage. So of the two teams, both teams are in the top six in those five categories, uh, those are the five categories that I look look to uh, to begin my evaluation of a pitching staff. So you're talking about two at minimum top six pitching staffs coming into this uh, this series. The Mariners uh, will be facing just for context. You know, we talk a lot about pitching splits. The Twins typically roll out five lefties and a switch hitter against a right-handed starter. So Two-thirds of, if the Twins start their typical lineups, two-thirds of the hitters that the Mariners will be facing in those starting lineups will be left-handed or will be hitting left-handed. 
So Luis Castillo is going uh, game one for the Mariners. He's coming into the game six and seven with the 304 ERA, 133 strikeouts and 118 in the third innings, uh, a K minus BB of over 20%, uh, lowest ground ball rate for his career at 41.3%. Uh, lefties hit a bit better against him, 234, 292 with a 747 OPS. Right-handers, 189, 237 with a 570 OPS. So lefties, Castillo likely will be facing six lefties uh, today. Lefties hit a little better, but they still don't hit particularly well. I was interested in Luis Castillo's last four starts. In my brain, he's been struggling. If I think about how he's been performing, he's been struggling just based on initial thought. What I found was interesting. So his four starts in July, he has a 3.75 ERA, a 1.00 whip, 24 innings, 22 hits, two walks, 25 strikeouts. So he's been basically the same pitcher that he's been all season in that, you know, ERAs can fluctuate. His ERA is a bit higher, but his whip is pretty close to the same as it's been all year. He's averaging just under a hit per per nine inning or per nine innings, which is or hit per inning, which is slightly above what he's done for the season, but not a ton. He's only walked two in 24 innings, so his walk rate is actually much better. And he's striking out about a hit or per a little over a hit or per inning, which is about what he's done for the season. So the reality is that over the past four starts, he's been typical Luis Castillo. I just think it's because the two starts after the all-star break have been poor, I think for his standards. Uh, They have been, so going backwards, he started against Minnesota on the 19th, six innings, six hits, three runs, 11 strikeouts against Detroit on the 14th, five innings, three earned runs, five strikeouts. The start on the seventh was at Houston. That's the start where he led with the sinker instead of the four seamer and, and flipped his pitch mix as did Logan Gilbert and, uh, George Kirby. And in this start, he went seven innings, five hits, no runs, three strikeouts. And then against Tampa Bay on the second, it was six innings, seven hits, four runs, six strikeouts. So he's been inconsistent, but his overall numbers have been pretty much the same. Uh, I like to do that exercise because it forces me to look further than what I initially uh, assume. And it did break down my assumption that he's been struggling over the last month or so because he's actually pitched, as I said, essentially the same. A couple other notes with Luis Castillo. His, he is a pitcher who has uh, three pitches with a 30-plus whiff rate percentage. His four-seamer is 35-8, slider 38-1, changeup 32-2. Uh, when you can throw three pitches with a 30% whiff rate, you are – working with something um, very strong. Uh, one of the indicators that I saw in the 22 offseason for fantasy was Dylan Cease had three pitches of a 40% or greater whiff rate. And to me, despite his wildness, that said that he was due for a breakout. And indeed, that's what he did in 23. But when you have multiple pitches or you have three pitches that are above 30% or above 35%, you're starting to really, it's a pitcher that, becomes very difficult uh, for a hitter to hit because you don't know what's coming and those pitches are very clearly of quality. So 
that's one note. The other one is that his whiff rate currently is 32.2%, which is um, about six and a half percent above league average. So Castillo keeps trucking along. You know, if you get 190, 100, 200 innings from him this season, it's probably going to be right around a three RA, three ERA and right around a one whip. Um, it's just the inconsistency from start to start, which for my eyes is, is locate always location based with him when he's missing his spots. He's good. When he's hitting his spots, he's elite. It's basically it with him. Uh, Mariners are lucky to be able to count on that type of performance from Luis Castillo. He'll be opposing Kenta Maeda. Kenta Maeda is 35 years old, uh, right-handed starting pitcher for the Twins. Uh, came up with the Dodgers, Japanese-born, pitched in Japan for a while before coming over to the States. He is 6'1", 185. He signed an eight-year contract worth $26 million total uh, seven years ago. He is a free agent in 2024. For the season, he's 2-5 and five with a 5-1-0 ERA and a 1-2-5 whip, but his expected ERA is 3-8-9 and his expected FIP fielding independent pitching is 3-7-6. Why is that? Because his BABIP is 3-33, which is 38 points above league average. His left on base percentage is 61%. League average is 72, meaning he's stranding less runners than your typical major league pitcher. Uh, 42 and a third innings, 41 hits, 12 12 walks, 50 strikeouts. So 28.6% strikeout rate and a 13.9% swinging strike rate. Uh, His splits are pretty even, higher average versus lefties, higher on base versus lefties, higher OPS versus righties. He too has two pitches. Two of his major three pit two of his three major pitches have above a 30% whiff rate. His slider at 30.6, splitter at 35.3. He throws a slider 34% of the time, leads with it. Splitter 33% of the time, four-seamer 23% of the time. He doesn't really get above 90 miles an hour. His uh, four-seamer averages 90.3 miles an hour. He will mix in a sinker to right-handers on occasion and mix in a curveball to lefties on occasion. Uh, The reason why he's only thrown 42 in the third innings is that he was hit by a 111-mile-an-hour line drive off of the bat of of Duran for Boston – the line drive hit his ankle. This was on April 20th. He pitched on the 26th and got lit up. He's clearly hurt. So he went back on the IL and didn't come back for the Twins until June 23rd. So he missed almost two months of time. Kenta Maeda is a tough, soft tossing, but tough pitcher to, uh, to hit. The Mariners faced Maeda when he came back off the IL. I will look that game up real quickly. I didn't bring that up in my initial notes. I apologize. Kenta Maeda pitched against the Mariners in his last start on the 19th. He went six and a third, three hits, two runs, one walk, nine strikeouts. So both pitchers opposed one another uh, on the 19th. Maeda outdueled Castillo from an earned run standpoint. Um, Maeda is an effective pitcher. I expect I would give the advanced slight advantage to Castillo because he is a better pitcher, a more talented pitcher, but Kenta Maeda is a tough out and a tough out for the Mariners. Um, so this should be fun. This game is at 440. 
uh, Pacific time. Again, tomorrow's matchup will be George Kirby against Pablo Lopez. We will review that matchup uh, tomorrow morning. So, trade deadline. Mariners are one week away from the Major League trade deadline. It is on August 1st. It is at 3 p.m. Pacific. Mariners only have seven games before the trade deadline passes. Three games against the Twins in Minnesota, an off day on Thursday, three games in Arizona against the Diamondbacks, and then one game Monday night against the Red Sox on July 31st, and that is it as far as games played by the Mariners before the trade deadline. So not a lot of time to to see different performance from this team as far as individuals go. Their numbers are going to be their numbers for the most part. A week is not going to make that big of a difference. But the Mariners winning and losing, moving up and down that wild card standings chart, is going to be what determines, I think, the direction that the Mariners go. So this is a really pivotal seven games as far as determining the direction of the Mariners. I talked about Jerry DePoto's comments last week on the radio. I think he will stick to those comments for the most part. I would expect the Mariners to not make a major move at the deadline, barring an Otani trade. But I do expect them to do something on the margins. I also... You know, if the Mariners lose five of seven, maybe you see Teoscar Hernandez traded. If they lose five of seven, maybe you see Paul Seawald traded. Um, But those would be the two that I would think the Mariners would sell unexpectedly. Uh, And we will talk in a minute here about some of the, the pitching that I think might have to be dealt in order to acquire a bat. So if the Mariners real, say the Mariners reeled off seven straight, got super hot, you know, in contention for a wild card or or in position to get a wild card at that point in time, I think you would see the Mariners make some aggressive moves with their minor leaguers and with some of their top minor leaguers. It uh, would not surprise me. But the likelihood is that the Mariners will pretty much stamp hat, make a move or two on the margins, and go from there. Uh, if the Mariners were to make a bigger move, uh, specifically at second base, we'll cover second today and we will cover DH later on in the week. Here are some of the players that I would expect the Mariners to uh, have discussions about. Some of them are more realistic than others. I will start with Hassan Kim. Hassan Kim is a 27-year-old middle infielder for the San Diego Padres. Uh he really struggled with the bat last season. This was his first season in the major leagues. This season, he's come into his own. He is signed through 2024 at $7 million a year. He has a mutual option for 25. I don't expect the Padres to break up a ton of their, their core. And I think Kim could be considered a part of their core at this point in time. Uh, I would only expect a trade if they really truly fell out of contention uh, before the deadline, that would mean losing a bunch of these their games this week. Uh, they are currently 10 games out in the National League West and six games out of the wild card. However, they have a 50 plus 52 run differential. So a team performing well, just getting some pretty poor luck as far as run distribution game to game. Uh, Hassan Kim is hitting 267, 338, 784 OPS. 
12 homers, 18 steals, 12% walk rate. And his outs above average is in the 99th percentile. You're talking about an elite, an absolutely elite defensive middle infielder. I think if the Mariners were to acquire Kim, the smart thing to do would to put Kim, would be to put Kim at short and put Crawford at second. I don't know that the Mariners would do that. Whatever the case is, he would be a huge upgrade to the Mariners uh, defensively up the middle and obviously uh, an offensive upgrade as well. What would the Padres be looking for? If they traded him, it would be because they fell out of contention. They have a farm system that has been completely depleted by the uh, by some trades, most recently the Juan Soto trade. And so I think they'd be looking to replenish their system. Would a package starting with Emmanuel, with uh, Jonathan Classe work? Their outfield currently has Tatis and Soto, but Soto has a, a contract issue upcoming. Trent Grisham... And uh, Samuel Zavala, who is due up probably in 25 or so, is probably their next best outfield uh, prospect. So could they use outfield help? Help They absolutely could. And I think uh, Jonathan Classe would be someone they would be interested in. Uh, pitching, you know, every team always wants pitching. I think Hancock, Emerson Hancock is a potential inclusion to most of these trades. And then... Cole Young, I, I put on this list as well. They signed Xander Bogertz to that huge contract uh, this offseason. So you've got Bogertz entrenched at short, and I would have thought that potentially down the road he would move to third. But ha- them having re-signed uh, Manny Machado takes that option out of the equation. So whether Bogertz is a shortstop or a second baseman long term, I do think his range is going to decrease a bit. They're going to need another player up the middle. But Jackson Merrill is their top prospect, a left-handed hitting shortstop who, if he moves, would likely move to second base. He's their top prospect. He is a consensus, I'd say, top 25 prospect in baseball. Um, Has some ground ball issues in terms of hitting the ball into the ground, doesn't walk much, but is a highly regarded prospect and a first-round pick of the Padres a couple years ago. So they have a plan up the middle, even if Kim is not, uh, on this team. So would Cole Young fit? Yes, he would. Um, but he's on the same, or he's probably a year behind Jackson Merrill. Uh, so I think the, the more logical package would start with Johnson Classe. So Classe and Hancock, does that work for Hassan Kim? I don't know. Um, again, Kim really, truly struggled last season with the bat. So this is his first year of production with the bat. I would like to see this trade. I think that uh, he'd be a huge addition to the team. Um, he's a an energetic, positive player who, again, plays lights out defense and has hit for some power and, and um, utilized his speed on the base paths this year. So that's Hassan Kim. We will revisit Brendan Donovan uh, kicking and screaming. He is hitting 281, 368, 795. So he's upped his OPS since we last talked about him. He's been playing pretty well. 346 plate appearances, 11 homers, four stolen bases, about a 10% walk rate, about a 15% K rate. Left-handed hitter, 26 years old, not a free agent until 29. Uh, His outs above average is in the eighth percentile. So you're talking about a poor defender 
um, basically wherever you put him. So you'd be giving up defense at second. I know that Colton Wong hasn't been great, but Brendan Donovan's been worse. Um, but you'd be getting some some real uh, some real hitting from the left side. I don't know about the power with Brendan Donovan. He does have 11 home runs, but you're getting high average, a good OBP, and a lack of defense from him. The Cardinals have stated already that They'll be sellers, and they're trying to improve for 2024. They have a clear need for pitching. Uh, their pitching approach over the last couple of years has been to uh, get ground ball-inducing pitchers. I always think of Dakota Hudson when I think of them. And that has proven to not really work for them. And they don't have great pitching in the minor leagues outside of maybe Tink Hence. So they clearly need pitching. They've stated that. Uh one other stat on Donovan, the part one year park factor for left-handed hitters in St. Louis is 109, meaning it's 9% easier for a hitter in St. Louis, left-handed hitter in St. Louis this season. In comparison, T-Mobile is league average for left-handed hitters, but for home runs uh, by lefties, it's 119 and T-Mobile is 109. So it's 10% easier to hit a home run in St. Louis versus Seattle and 19% easier for a left-handed hitter to hit a home run in St. Louis versus the league. So from a power standpoint, actually from a hitting standpoint, there would be a slight decrease in park, in home park for Brendan Donovan if he was to come to Seattle. Um, The real question with Donovan is, would you give up a starting pitcher, a major league starting pitcher for Brendan Donovan? I think that the Mariners... It's probably unrealistic to think that the Mariners could acquire Donovan without giving up one of Gilbert, Wu, or Bryce Miller. And that's not my evaluation. That's what I'm expecting the cards to ask for. Uh, that'd be a hard no from me. I don't think Donovan is a an impactful enough player to give up one of those three pitchers. Um, If he hit for more power, I think it would be something that would be more palatable. If he played better defense, I think it would be more palatable, but he doesn't. And to give up that that high quality pitching for a left-handed bat that plays a poor second base and doesn't hit for a ton of power does not, is not attractive to me. Um, if they were asking for a Mariners top five prospects, maybe two top five prospects or two top 10 prospects, then I think that's a good place to start, right? Again, Hancock and uh, Cole Young is a package that I would consider. Um, Harry Ford is something that I think the Mariners should consider. Uh Ford and Hancock, that's a lot. It's a heavy price to pay, but it would be something that I would think about. But I would not give up Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, or Logan Gilbert for Brendan Donovan. Um, That's a hard no for me. Nolan Gorman, another St. Louis Cardinal. Uh, Obviously, they stated that they were clear sellers, so let's go. Uh, 23 years old, not a free agent until 2029. Triple slash this season, 243, 325, 814 OPS. Left-handed power hitter, 20 home runs, five steals, 
almost an 11% walk rate and 31% strikeout rate. Uh, outs above average, 29th percentile. Again, below average second baseman, but still better than Donovan, at least according to that particular metric. I do believe Gorman would take, it would take uh, one of Gilbert, Wu, or Miller to acquire him. Um, this one I would consider. I think Gorman has a more impactful bat. Obviously, you know, almost twice as many home runs, uh, similar walk rate. He does, the floor is a bit lower for him because he strikes out so much, but the ceiling is also higher for him, right? Nolan Gorman could hit 40 home runs in a season. I don't know that he will, but say he's 30 plus home runs at second base for the next, until he's a free agent in 29. That's a huge addition. And so Gorman for a, young pitcher, again, one of those back three, is something that I think the Mariners have to consider. I don't know if I would have the cojones to pull off that trade. Um, you would have to really be in love with Nolan Gorman and uh, consider him a player with the, uh, on the rise. But he'd, it have an, it, certainly that trade would have an impact um, long-term for the Mariners you're getting a controllable asset back, which is I clearly they're always looking for. And as I looked at the potential free agent pitching list uh, in 24, there are some names on that list that the Mariners could sign um, specifically short-term to shore up the staff. Uh, not shore it up, but, but continue to make it better, I guess. So here's some names. Um, that I expect to be free agents next season. Marcus Stroman has a player option at $21 million, which he is going to opt out of. Clearly he's been great. He's pitching for the Cubs currently. He does not fit the Mariners mold in that he throws uh sinker slider, but not to strike people out to induce contact. I do think that he is an interesting player. Um, he will command a pretty big salary. He'll be 33 years old by then. Uh, Lance Lynn has a club, actually the club option probably get picked up on Lance Lynn. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez has an opt-out for the Detroit Tigers left-handed starter. I would expect him to opt out. He's been very good this year. He's been hurt a bit, but he's been very good. Uh, Julio Urias for the Dodgers is a, a free agent, but I would expect the Dodgers to re-sign him unless there's something wrong with his medicals or they don't trust him. Ross Stripling for the uh, Giants has a player option of $15 million. Andrew Heaney, left-handed starter for the Rangers. Uh, Aaron Nola, starting pitcher for the Phillies, who is a perennial Cy Young candidate, is a free agent. The Phillies, typically, I would just say they're going to re-sign him, but the reality is that Nola, that their payroll is incredibly high. And so I would expect them to re-sign him, but that's a, a dark horse name. Lucas Giolito is a free agent. Sonny Gray is a free agent. Local boy Blake Snell is a free agent. So my point is that if you seeing this free agent list made me open my mind up a bit more to the idea of trading a pitcher. Um, I said last night that if I trade, if I was Jerry DePoto, that while it would be difficult to trade a pitcher, Logan Gilbert would be the one that I would trade because he has proven his durability. 
He has a track record, which is going to be worth more to a team in trade, but that he has the lowest ceiling of the five current five starters in the major league rotation. I believe he has the lowest ceiling. He has a high floor, but I don't think he's an ace. I don't even really think he's a number two. Um, and then when you compare the, that free agent class that I just spoke of to the second baseman class, you've got your friend in mine, Colton Wong, Javier Baez, but he's not opting out. Your friend in mine, Adam Frazier, a 36-year-old Josh Harrison, Brad Miller. Whit Merrifield has a mutual $18 million option. I'm not a Merrifield fan. I think he's been, his value has been inflated for what fantasy reasons, most mostly in stolen bases. Uh, Tony Kemp, Donovan Solano, like you've got some crap names at the second base position as free agents. And then if you look at shortstops as well, assuming JP could move or you could put this player at second, then you've got Brendan Crawford, who I think will retire at 37 years old. Kike Hernandez, Nick Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, uh, Paul DeYoung and Tim Anderson have club options, debatable as to whether they'd be picked up. Anderson might be interesting. The off-injured Adalberto Mondesi. So it's, there's nothing up the middle. I think the only way you're going to really plug that hole up the middle for the Mariners is to acquire a bat. So, Again, that pushes me a little closer towards being willing to trade pitching for a second base bat. Um, I still don't know if I would do it. It would depend on the player. Again, Ha-Sung Kim would be a yes. Brendan Donovan would be a no. Nolan Gorman would be a yes. Next hitter on this list is Brandon Drury. 277 average, 822 OPS for the Angels. He signed a two-year $17 million contract. He's a free agent 25. 14 home runs and 307 plate appearances, no steals, 5.2% walk rate. Outs above average of 86th percentile, which I did not expect to see. Uh, he's out right now with a shoulder contusion. He's on the injured list. I don't know if the Angels are going to make a trade. Uh, I think it depends on this next week, and it depends on whether they decide to trade Shohei Otani or not. But they are currently eight games out in the American League West and four games out of the wild card. Drury is a player the Mariners should have signed. When you look at his production, if the Mariners could have gotten for $8.5 million a year a plus defender at second base who hit 14 home runs and has an 822 OPS as of right now, I think the Mariners would be in a completely different spot. Um, but the Angels signed him, not the Mariners. I would love to see the Mariners deal for Drury. I do think that there's an in-division in tax. But if the Mariners were to offer the Angels let's say, you know, one of the top five minor league prospects in the Mariners system, would the Angels say no? Uh, maybe. Should they say no? No. I, I think the Angels should take what they can get for any veteran on that team. If they trade Otani, there's a good chance that that's the direction that they go. Um, and if they try to walk the line and retool, they're out of their minds because – Otani is the reason why that team's even in contention. Um, so Drury is a player I'd love to see the Mariners go after. I do think it would take a pretty good minor leaguer to get him. That is a very nice contract to have a productive starting second baseman on. Could they pair two prospects for Drury? I think so. 
could they give up one of again Cole Young, Gabriel Gonzalez, one of Jonathan Classe, one of those types for Drury? I think the Angels might listen, um, but he's an interesting one. He's a yes for me. I would not give up pitching for him, but he's a yes for me. By pitching, I mean one of the rotation the the players in the Mariners rotation currently. I've got a couple more here. I'll try to go through them quickly. Andres Jimenez is interesting second baseman for the Cleveland Guardians. He's 24 years old. He signed a contract seven years, $106.5 million. It goes through 2029. That's a $15.2 million AAV. He's coming off a really big season for the Guardians at age 23. This season has been a disappointment. 704 OPS, six home runs, 15 steals. He is a 94th percentile sprint speed player and a 91st percentile outs above average. So fast defender, hit some home runs, stole some bases last year. Uh, I think it would take a top, a probably multiple top prospects to acquire him because the Guardians see him as a centerpiece. They are currently one game under 500, but only three games out in the AL Central. Uh, I like Jimenez as a player. I would not give up what it would take to get him. But if they wanted to get off that contract, and Cleveland clearly does not like spending money, and if their evaluation of Jimenez is less than what that contract costs, they have Tyler Freeman, Gabriel Arias, um, Brian Rocchio, Juan Brito, and Jose Tena, or Tena in AA and up, AA, AAA, or major leagues, all as prospects who have been, who are seen as decent prospects. So the replacement for Jimenez would not be difficult to find for them internally. Uh, they'll also have to replace Ahmed Rosario, who's a free agent in 24 next season. He would be a trade candidate for the Mariners. He's hitting 260. He's 27 years old, but a 657 OPS, three homers, nine steals, and a 5.5% walk rate does not work for me. Um, I don't think he's an improvement over anything the Mariners have currently. Tommy Edmond, uh, middle infielder, outfielder for the Cardinals. Currently hitting 237, 303, 694 OPS switch hitter, 307 plate appearances, seven homers, 14 steals. He's 28 years old. He's a free agent in 26. His outs above average is in the 91st percentile. So you're talking about a good defensive, fast, uh, versatile middle infielder, but a player who is a part of the Cardinals core as well. Uh, it would take... Again, it would take young pitching to acquire him. I think he falls in that same bucket as Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan, where they would be asking for one of Gilbert Wu or Miller. Uh, Edmund is, I think he's a good piece. He's not a piece that I would give up big pitching for um, because the the real offensive production isn't there. The steals are, and that's fantasy-wise, you know, you've seen Edmund ranked very highly, but Steals aren't going to win the Mariners. Steals alone are not going to win the Mariners a championship. So Edmund is a no for me. Second to last one is Brandon Lau. He is the left-handed hitting second baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays. He hasn't played really well. He's been injured for the last two years. He really truly hasn't played well since 2021. He is on a very cheap deal, 29 years old. Uh, $4 million a year through 24, and then club options for 25 and 26. He's a low average, high walk rate, high strikeout hitter. He did have 39 home runs in 2021. 
So far this season in 253 plate appearances, he has 10 home runs and four steals. What I have for what it would take to acquire Brandon Lau, I said, who, capital T, capital F, knows, LOL. Because it's Tampa Bay. They could request a prospect that's not on anyone's lists, uh, that's in the Mariners, you know, that's playing in Modesto right now. And you trade him for Brandon Lau and you end up, you know, he ends up being a superstar. Who knows? But he's a batter. He's a, a left-handed bat at second base where there is talent. There is lightning in his bat. It's just a matter of keeping him healthy. And then the last one is Jonathan India. So the Cincinnati Reds said about a month ago, there's no way they're trading India. He... So since then, they have promoted a bunch of their young players. It's been super exciting for Cincinnati. They've rocketed up the rankings. They've got, obviously, Ellie De La Cruz, Spencer Steer, Matt McLean, uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, still with Ed- Edwin Arroyo and uh, Noel Marte in the minor league still. So tons and tons of infield talent on the Reds. Today on MLB Trade Rumors, uh, they reported that Mark Feinsand of MLB.com reported that the Reds are willing to trade Jonathan India to obtain young, controllable starting pitching. Um, obviously, India would cost the Mariners one of those three starters that I mentioned earlier, Gilbert, Wu, and Miller. Uh, he was Rookie of the Year a couple years ago. He's currently hitting 251, 338, 749 OPS in 441 plate appearances. He has 14 homers and 12 steals, 9% walk rate, 20% K rate. He is arbitration eligible in 24, a free agent in 27. Uh, He's currently 26 years old and his outs above average is in the 20th percentile. So good bat, not great bat. I wouldn't say he has elite talent. He would certainly be an upgrade over what the Mariners have currently. Um, He would lengthen the lineup quite a bit. He is a solid major leaguer. He is right in the middle of his prime. He is controllable until 27. All of those things sound good. He is not a good defensive second baseman. If you were to pair India and J.P. Crawford, I think you would have a very poor middle infield. I don't like that uh, formula with the number of ground balls that the Mariners get and the number of sinkers that the Mariners pitchers throw. Um, I'm not a huge Jonathan India fan. Fantasy-wise, I never have been. I've gotten into big debates about him. But he is a legitimate Major League second baseman who would make the Mariners better. I would not trade uh, either of the three starters that I mentioned for him. I would trade Emerson Hancock plus... Uh, a highly rated minor leaguer for him. If it was Hancock and another bat, right? If it was even a Harry Ford for Jonathan India, I think that's something that the Mariners have to consider. Um, But I would be, I would be really nervous to give up one of the bigger arms for him. I like the idea of Nolan Gorman better than uh, Jonathan India, if you're really going to mortgage uh, one of those starting pitchers. So 
in summary, you've got, there's a lot of second basemen out there who I think are acquirable. I think the lesson is that all of these teams are going to come looking for the Mariners young major league starting pitching. Uh, the only ones that I think would be worth it on this list are for one of those guys are Nolan Gorman and really just Nolan Gorman. He's the one that I would target. Um, it's not to say that the others aren't improvements over what the Mariners have. I just would like to try to see them trade more from the periphery. So very interesting to dig into those second base options. Um, those are the ones that I think would make a true impact on the Mariners lineup uh, if the Mariners were to acquire them. Again, there are seven games left for the Mariners to play to demonstrate to the organization that they should buy. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating run this next week or so. There is a lot of pressure on the team, I think, to really take a step up in the standings. I'm excited to watch it. You should be excited to watch it. It's going to be fun. Tune in tonight, 440 Pacific, Luis Castillo versus Kenta Maeda. Um, can't wait to watch myself. Thanks for listening to the Mariners cast. We are presented by Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Enjoy this Monday night game. We'll talk to you soon. We'll be back tomorrow. Recap the game. Uh, if I have time, we'll start talking about some of those DH options, first base options that the Mariners can acquire. Talk to you later. Enjoy. Enjoy.